You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Tayo, um, part of the great team that leads the youth here. Uh, the reading today is going to be taken from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, and well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed. He agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink, that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Oh, good morning, everyone. 
And welcome to those of you joining us online. It's great to see you this morning. I'm really excited to launch our series on the book of of Daniel. And if you weren't here last week or didn't manage to catch it up on our podcast or our live stream, um, last week I, I set the scene really for this series. And uh, I talked about that this, I believe, is the era um, that we're in as we consider church and the future church in our cultural moment. Uh, This is a new cultural moment where the ground beneath our feet has moved and we're in a post-Christian culture. We're in an era of exile, an era of exile. And exile is the experience of of being in an environment where the dominant values culturally run counter to one's own. Uh, And biblically, we believe that this idea, this concept, this metaphor of exile is the best description and framework for helping us to navigate and indeed thrive as disciples of Jesus in this era. And uh, I unpacked more of this last week, but uh, just to be a bit succinct as an introduction, in order to be a disciple uh, in this moment and in this season, we're essentially trying to avoid two things. First of all, separatism is to be avoided. The idea of forming Christian subcultures and, and bubbles, as it were, to avoid the world out there is not the direction that we want to go in, but many churches uh, do. Uh, and then this idea of syncretism, where essentially we assimilate, we become like the world around us. We assimilate the values, we adopt the prevailing ways of the world. And nine times out of ten, this is the church's battle, this is the church's issue. And, and what I believe is, is the enemy's current uh, strategy and greatest strategy is causing the world and the church to blend together. Take two, two opposite colors, take black and white, and, and let's just blend them together and you get gray. Everything is just gray around us. There's no difference between the world and between the church. And this has certainly been made more prevalent. Um, the, the Barner Group um, from the States run a load of kind of global stats on um, some of the um, kind of things of the world and of the church. And they say that we're in this uh, era called digital Babylon, which has only been accelerated through COVID. In other words, all of our access through social media, through the internet, through our various devices, means that the values of today are being adopted so uh, much quicker and readily and easier uh, by the gener- uh, certainly the emerging generation around us. And yet God has called the church in this era of digital Babylon to be a creative minority. In other words, how can we be like Jesus? How can we be like the early church in the soil of a post-Christian world? How do we thrive in exile? And I believe Daniel will be an incredible guide to help us navigate this era and this season. So will uh, 1 Peter, and we'll look at that in, in the evening service. But Daniel 
is such a timely book for us. The, the first six chapters are, are really stories of uh, these guys in exile, and, and the latter half is a lot of very complicated prophetic stuff. And, um, and we're going to journey until we, uh, until we get this. Uh, at this time in the book of Daniel, there's a huge upheaval. There's political turmoil. There are three empires at war, and Israel, as God's people, they keep drifting. This is the story, as you see, throughout the Old Testament. They keep drifting into idolatry and into injustice. They're kind of like twin sisters. And God continuously, in his compassion, warns them and says, come back to me, come back to the true God, Yahweh. And he beckons them to repent, uh, and, and they don't. They refuse. They keep drifting into idolatry and into injustice. And in God's sovereignty, the will of God, he delivers them into exile, into Babylon. And Babylon uh, in the ancient world is a huge, huge city, about 56 miles long. That's from like here to, to nearly Leeds. It's, it's a huge city, uh, wealthy, architecturally brilliant. Uh, and it, it really represents a lot of the cities we have here in the Western world uh, where it's, it's kind of like seen and perceived as the engine driving the globe economically, politically, and so many other ways. And Babylon has conquered Jerusalem and has taken the Jewish people captive. Now, obviously, a, a defeat like this is seen as a, as a defeat ultimately of God. The perception here is that Yahweh has been defeated. If you just put yourself in the shoes of the story of Daniel and his friends, that must be absolutely gutting, particularly as teenagers, gutting to, that the Yahweh God that you have followed is, is being perceived as being defeated. And the Babylonians, they make a really, really clever and smart move. They, they reckon if they can grab the brightest and the smartest leaders, especially the younger ones, teenagers, and train them that they can get them to not live as Jews. And um, this really is seen, I think, in our emerging generation right now. Uh, this is why it's so important as a church that we, we pray and contend for our kids there were great models for our kids. That's why doing a dedication this morning is so, so important that we take that responsibility as a family to help raise children for Jesus. They can influence and be Babylonians. And, and therefore, the, their heritage won't be so important. Look at verse four. Young men... They're looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome. This was my wife's memory verse before she met me. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. And if you're single here, can I just say, get this, anyway, on a piece of paper on the toilet door. Quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. So let me put it into now terms. It's like these kids have been put into, say, uh, Oxford University, and let's subvert their ideas 
Uh, and so they grow up thinking that this is just something that my grandparents did. That's just something that my grandparents thought. What's the point? And it's really, really strategic. If we can influence them while they're young, raise them in the Babylonian ways, we, we can change them generationally and we can change their history forever going forward. And they say, oh, and they'll say things like, and we've got it today, oh, but that, that's what granddad thinks, that's what grandma thinks. And so many of our young people are saying that today, we, we don't need to hear about the Bible. We don't need to hear what church history teaches us. We've got YouTube influences and we've got TikTok. Anyone here on TikTok? That's going to be our next church venture, can I just say. Um, who cares about what the Bible says? That has no authority in my life because we've got all these other voices. This is happening now. It's, it's strategic. It's bright. It's subtle. It's so clever. Let's subvert people's ideas, particularly through the power of the internet. So they take the best of the best, and we see here that they even rename them. They give them new names. So, so this is a strategy, an attack, even on their identity, the core of who they are, changing their Hebrew name to a Babylonian name, which was huge in those days. This isn't about, let's get a, go to W.A. Smith and get a book on baby names, and let's just choose you know, which of our favorite celebrities have called their kids. This, this is the changing their identity because their identity was linked with their name, Hebrew to pagan. Daniel's name means God is my judge to the new name, which means Bel, which is a Babylonian god. Bel protects his life. God is my judge to Bel protects his life. And as an interesting side, and we'll, we'll, a lot of these kind of contextual themes will, will come up at different stages throughout the series. But as an interesting aside, Daniel actually never changes his name and the writer actually misspells all the Babylonian names. So that's, but that's a whole, you should read that in some commentaries. So you read the first seven verses this morning and you think this, Daniel and his friends do not stand a chance. They do not stand a chance. The, the real-life exile pressure to conform and to compromise was so powerful, which is why when you read verse 8, makes what they did so courageous and so remarkable. Just think about it, Daniel. He's, he's massively isolated. Massively isolated. And you could argue that he has a, a lack of experience with his age. If you, if you read the Bible, God uses young people in incredible ways. God marks young people. And so it's not that his age was an issue, but maybe his lack of experience in dealing with these situations. And there's an immediate attack on his identification and to assimilate. And now they appeal. And this is what the enemy does all the time. Doesn't appeal to us through obvious bad things, but through good things and trying to make those into God things, he appeals to his appetites, regular daily 
appetites and desires. And you see this now with food. Now, verse 8 is the key verse. I want you to underline this, tweet it, tattoo it, I don't, I don't care. Verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. But Daniel, so it's not looking good for seven verses, but Daniel, in exile, resolved not to defile himself. So early doors, Daniel here is trying to draw a line, re food, which in the context of the day was a major thing. Your, your diet was a cultural and spiritual marker as to which God you worshipped. So he was being asked to break f- uh, food laws relating to what he'd learned and been brought up with in the Torah. And Daniel says, no, no. He draws a line very early on and says this, I'm a Hebrew, I worship Yahweh, no. And Daniel refuses here to compromise and lives by an alternative story and script with incredible, remarkable courage. And, and as we see later on, and, and again we'll unpack this over coming weeks, is that it worked out. There's, there's favor and promotion attached to his choices and to his life. But this is about a teenage boy who finds remarkable courage. Now if I was to put um, kind of a list of dangers to you all as to... Um, what is the greatest temptation in our current era? What is our greatest temptation? What is the biggest danger for us as followers of Jesus right now? And I would say it's the temptation to compromise. The temptation to compromise. In the tyranny of majority opinion, the desire to assimilate and compromise is huge on every single one of us, day in, and day out. I love a, a teacher, an author, he's from um, Australia called Mark Sayers. I've been reading his books, uh, Disappearing Church and Reappearing Church. I really recommend them. And he talks about how we're not in a pre-Christian era where you know, we, we don't sacrifice our firstborn and we don't worship Thor, um, for those of you who are into those films. Um, but, but what missionaries and Christians have done, particularly in the West, is they go to other nations and, and when they're converted to Christ, is often they colonize others. They, they try and make other people look like them. That, that's a huge thing that they do. In a post-Christian era, which w- what we're in, our, our major issue is that, is that we want Christianity without Christ. We want the kingdom, but without the king. And because of this, our issue isn't colonizing our culture. We're not trying to get everyone to sing certain worship songs and read certain books and look a certain way, which we find in many nations of the world. Our issue is this, is that we're being colonized by the culture. So the world and its values and its narrative is colonizing the church. This is our issue And that happens very, very subtly. It happens by drift. It happens by osmosis. There's the pull of consumerism. 
There's this distortion in sexual ethics. There's the subtlety of addiction. There's conversion, not by hard power, but by soft power. So, hey, you had a drink. That's fine. Have another one. Have a third, have a fourth. You're alone with your girlfriend at night. You love her. Everyone else is doing it. And a lot worse, no big deal. You have some extra money. I just spend it on myself. I do what I want with it. Racism. You don't need to worry about that. I'm definitely not a racist. Netflix. Oh, it's not porn. It's fine. It's... I can, I can watch loads of series on that. It's, it's unassuming. It's so, so subtle. And it's one compromise at a time. It's small, incremental decisions at a time. It's the cumulative effects of sins that starts to cause the church to drift and eventually be shipwrecked and drown. And Daniel here looks to draw his lines early on by not compromising. I want to encourage you this morning, for those of you who are starting here at university, for those of you starting a new school year, a school or a college, for those of you who are starting a new job, or even after kind of post-COVID, you feel like it's a fresh start. Maybe you've been out of the office for a year or two years and it's kind of like you're going back into the office and you kind of feel like this is a new start for me. I want to encourage you this morning to do what Daniel does and look to draw your lines early doors. Get in there early doors. We, we just had our own kind of moment like this as a family because we, uh, about four months ago we moved into a new house and a new neighborhood and, and early on we're thinking look, whatever we do now will be marked by and obviously, and then trust is built when you do those same things over a lifetime. But early doors, we want to communicate that we're followers of Jesus. We want to proudly walk to church this morning with our Bibles in our hands. We want to say that we're good neighbors. So whatever it is for you in your context right now, I want to encourage you to draw a line early doors. It may mean offering to pray for someone, to, to get, kind of go to the canteen and, and get a, a Christian book out and, or a Bible and just say, and someone says, well, what, are you, what are you reading? To communicate, what did you do this weekend? Well, look, I, I went to church. Now, Daniel makes a stand on something huge contextually, but actually reading, you think, come on, Daniel, this, this is really not a big deal, is it? You're, you're in their world now, Surely um, it's not a big deal just to change your eating habits, to, to eat a little pork. God understands. He gets it. Come on. But for Daniel, he's not willing to play fast and loose with holiness and with God. He's saying, look, I'm going to make a stand in the small things early on. Now here's the deal. If you know anything about Daniel, if you've been watching VeggieTales in preparation for this series, you know there's some bigger challenges to come. Fiery furnace, the lion's den. And many of us would say, yes, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere. I surrender all to you. We're all for it. I'm all in. 
but people who have major moments of courage on the big things are always people who have made courageous decisions on the small things. If we want to be a courageous people, if we want to make a stand in those big moments, it all comes from a powder trail of smaller decisions that we have made in private, before one person, two people, before our family, before the people who really know us. Let me give you a few examples. Things like money. Yeah, Lord, if, if I had a million pounds, of course I'd give you lots of it. <laughs> this is something, of course, we teach our kids, you know, say, oh, if only I had more money. So we're trying to teach them, look, when you have a pound, how do you steward that? How do you steward a pound? About telling the truth, Lord, I, I, I'd never lie, but what, what do we do when we're filling in that form? What do we do in that moment? Lord, if you tell me to do something, I'll submit and do it because you're God. But what do you do when your home group leader asks you to do something, even that lousy boss at work? Because the Bible's really clear. We obey Christ by obeying people in authority, being a joy to them with sincerity of heart and respect. You may think, oh, I'd be so different if I was in authority. I'd be so different if I was the boss at work. I'd be so different if I ran that company. I'd be so different if I was the pastor of that church. I'd do things so differently. Well, how do you handle authority now? And God sees every single of these moments. Lord, I would never, ever cheat on my husband. Okay, what happens on the computer at midnight when you're stressed and you can't sleep? We talk about these major life decisions, but it begins in the small decisions not to compromise. I'm just going to refuse to ever gossip. I, I'm not going to talk about people behind their backs. I'm just not going to do it unless I've said it to them. I'm just not going to do it. And, and we do that with our social media accounts. Is that, I mean, some of the stuff that Christians write on social media accounts is horrific. Because they think, you know what, I'm on my own, I'm behind a, a screen on a keyboard, it doesn't matter, I don't need to say it to them. Think about it, we, God has marked us as Christians to preach the gospel and to pray. And yet with the same mouth, often gossip and profanity comes out of our mouths. I want to ask the question, are there any Christians, are there any people who can take a stand like Daniel and be reasonable <laughs> like Daniel? I love the wisdom of how he went about all that he did. Just take a stand for Jesus, but it would be reasonable and wise how we do it. And the Bible is clear that we, the church, are those people we're called to be these people. And maybe you're sat here this morning, you're like, do you know what? This is an awesome talk, John. I'm going to send this to my mum. And I'm like, you're missing it. You're missing the point because I'm talking to me this morning. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to us. When we do not compromise, 
on our integrity, then when we do that, we do not, we refuse to compromise our integrity. We war against the temptation to have a divided heart, to have a duality of our personhood. It means that we will be at peace with God and peace with ourselves. You see the result for Daniel in all of this was, it says Daniel, that God gave him favor and Daniel looked even better. And all the vegans cheered. (laughs) Daniel looked, we talked about the fattened calf a few weeks ago, I thought I had to just kind of balance things out. God is now, through Daniel and his friends, at work in Babylon. So this isn't about let's take them out of Babylon, let's keep them Let's keep you in that workplace. Let's keep you in that environment that is really tough. Because God wants to give you favor and promotion in that place. But he's looking for the private, secret, small choices not to compromise. God has set this whole thing up and he's set you and I up and we're called to go into our culture and resist compromise and to influence with kingdom culture and bring God's favor into these places. So let me ask you a question. Is there something right now in your life that is rising up that you feel and you know deep down between you and the Lord is compromise? Is there some distance between you and the Holy Spirit What is it? Where where do you feel, if you've been really honest and transparent, do you feel you've been currently seduced and thinking, you know, most people are doing it all around me. What does it matter? Where are these issues of compromise? And you want to change. You want to change. I want to ask you as a bit of really homework before the Lord to think of a couple of areas of compromise for, for Daniel, it was meat from the king's table. What is it for you? And, and notice that Daniel went above and beyond in his pursuit of holiness. It, it wasn't ever about getting close to the line of what can I get away with. That is legalism. He erred on the side of holiness. And I think there's a couple of things practically we can do in order to um, change so if we're feeling that some areas of compromise and we, we want to change, you, you think, do you know what, this is a compromise in my life and I want to be more Christ-like in these areas. Here's a couple of things we need to do practically. First of all, you need a vision. You need a vision for the better story. You need a vision for the better life. What is it for you, the way of Jesus and the kingdom? We need to saturate our hearts in the Bible. That's why we say it's so important that we come to church and we get involved in, a, in the life of a home group or whatever it is because every single week we're being pulled by multiple voices and scripts and narratives and we need to be re-envisioned that this is the way of God. This is the way of purity. Come this way. And so we need to have a vision. A vision because what I love about Daniel, we see this with his habit, habits of prayer is that we've got to make a decision before the dilemma. We have to make a decision in our hearts before the dilemma ever comes about. We've got to make a decision long before the temptation. We've got to resolve in our hearts that we will never compromise on these 
issues and areas. So we're going to have a vision. Why do I want to change? Just not happy because you're not in that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're not knowing that grace and power on your life and his presence. Let's be honest, guys. Nothing in the world compares to that. Nothing. Than knowing you're close and intimate with Jesus. Nothing. And so we're going to have a vision for a better story. We're going to be compelled for that. And then we've got to go beyond decision, which means we've got to have a means. We've got to have a strategy. So you've got to have something in your heart and your mind goes, yeah, I want to live differently. I want to change. But we've got to have a strategy and a means how to do it. So I'm just going to give you a really practical example of this. Maybe it's to do with our phone use, social media use in digital Babylon. And you're like, you know what? I'm finding it's taking away from my family. I find that it's bringing a deadening to my soul. I'm finding that I'm not being renewed in my mind in the ways of God. I feel there's not a there's no power and presence on my life. It's just a dulling of the senses, and it's an addiction. Then you need a vision of a better story, and something that um, I've really tried to do since certainly becoming the pastor of the church is to. Uh, ring fence and have significant boundaries in my life, particularly in the area of, um, say, phone use, because it's so easy, particularly with post-COVID, to answer calls and do this and do that. So just whether it's uh, on days off or on holidays or various things is is to have a vision. So I I have a coach who I talk to about. I um, I read books about it. I just have a vision that, do you know what, I want to live differently than just kind of like, oh, just pick up your phone whenever you feel like it. I want to have boundaries around that, but I need a means, I need a strategy. And so it may be that you need some accountability. You talk to some people, I want to do something different. You you have boundaries on when you turn your phone off and for an evening or around the dinner table or like for 24 hours a week, it's like I don't touch it. It goes uh, in a, in a, a little box in the hallway and I just don't go near it all these things and trust me we will go okay but I need it for this and I need it for that but if we want to break addictions and we want to break the subtlety of compromise we have to have a vision and we have to have a strategy I encourage you because I think the strength in numbers to get help to talk to people and say look I really want to break this just be upfront, be transparent and say, look, I, I, will you hold me accountable? I'm going to do this for a month. Will you help me to do this? I want to encourage you as the greatest vision. is obviously we're here to worship God. But, you know, we won't meet Jesus one day and go, oh man, I, I really wish I watched more of the Game of Thrones. It's just not going to happen. I want to close with a powerful story because it's all about will we waste our lives or not? And this is a story about John Piper who is a wonderful teacher, pastor in the States, author, and um, he talks about his dad who was an evangelist. And um, as a boy, there was one illustration that captivated John Piper more than all the others. It was a story of a man who gave his life to Jesus in his old age. And apparently, the church had prayed for this man for decades, but he was hard and resistant. And yet, for some reason, he turned up to church when John Piper's father was preaching. At the end of the service, during him, to everyone's amazement, he came and took the preacher's hand, and they sat down 
together on the front pew of the church and there and then he received the forgiveness of his sins from the risen Jesus. It should have been the best day of his life and yet despite the wonderful joy of knowing that he was now heading for eternal life, tears ran down his wrinkled face. As he sat on that wooden bench reflecting on his life, so far he realized how meaningless it had all been. And so he cried and through his tears he said again and again, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Now the, the challenge for all of us, how many of us want to get to the end of our lives and say through the tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. And I want to encourage you today and envision you church is that Starting today, when you go into work tomorrow, whatever your world looks like, to be marked by a life of courage and to be marked by a life of non-compromise and so that you can say, I didn't waste it. I didn't waste it. And that people around me are asking the question about God because of our lives. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.